you open your Bible with me this morning to Mark chapter 9? Mark chapter 9. I'd like to look at a story that uh, we could say in Mark chapter 9 is kind of Peter's gospel. Because it was, John Mark was actually not a disciple of Christ, but a follower of Christ, who became a companion of Peter on his missionary journeys. And we believe that John Mark then wrote the book of Mark, hearing the stories from Peter. That's what we generally gather. John Mark's parents are the ones that we believe were the ones who owned the house that had the upper room. And that John Mark's parents were the ones that owned the donkey that Jesus rode in on the uh, triumphal entry. All those kind of related. Well, chapter 9 of Mark begins with the story of the transfiguration, which we are not going to spend time on. When we were in the Middle East, John, we saw Mount Tabor from a distance. We didn't actually climb up it and go there. As we passed it, we saw that as we were traveling through and going through where Jesus was transfigured. There's quite a story there to read that, but after they came down from the mountain, on their way down from the mountain, we want to pick up the story there, beginning with verse 14. And when they came, the three of them, Jesus with the three, Matthew, Mark, excuse me, came down with John, James, and with Peter. When they came down, the other disciples, the other nine were there, and they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing with them. They were arguing, and soon all the people saw Jesus, and they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. And Jesus asked, what are you arguing about, Jesus said to them. Actually, if we were in the King James, it says they were discussing. Well, there was more to it. The Hebrew, the Hebrew um, um, excuse me, the Greek, in its expressions of that, was saying more. It, this was something that was heated. This was a heated discussion that was taking place. There was anger there. Now, if you've been to the Middle East and you had a chance to go there, you know that people, when they talk with one another, sometimes when they're discussing something, they raise their voices, they get quite animated, and they're discussing back and forth. And it looks like they're really mad in us, in our culture. We kind of, ooh, ooh what's happening here? But over there, that's perfectly acceptable. Nobody's getting mad at anybody. And so they just express themselves. Well, this was a heated argument that had happening. It was an embarrassing moment, and a man, then the verse 17 said, and a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Now, we look at that in modern times, we say, well, maybe he had epilepsy or he had some kind of a deal. But the story revolves around the possession of a demon. And so they, I asked his disciples, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus' disciples could not do it. Which makes me think, draws me to think. The church family is often, for the last 2,000 years, had people come to its door looking for help from one form or another. The ills of humanity are often brought to the church door. The hungry, the sick, those who are in need in many different ways, 
those who have psychological needs, those who have lost needs. There are many who come to the church door. And the church is called upon to help them in some form or another. But often, nothing happens. See, the father comes, he was asking the church for help. He was asking the disciples, can you help me? Help me with this. And they were not able. They were not able to help. That speaks to me about the concern that I have as a pastor and as a Christian and as a follower of Christ. That people come and ask for help. I mean, can you do this for me? Can you help? And I'm not able. Or I can't, or I don't know. Let's go back to Mark chapter 9. It should say chapter 9, not chapter 6. And then, oh, excuse me, we want to uh, back up into Matthew, Mark 6, excuse me. I want you to follow this, because remember they came and they addressed him. Now, in Mark 6, we have when Jesus was sending out the disciples. I forgot this little point. And he said then, he said in verse 6, Then Jesus went around teaching village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two. Remember the story? And he gave them authority over what? Impure spirits. Down in verse 13, he said, And they drove out many demons, the disciples did, and anointed many sick with oil and healed them. That's three chapters earlier where Jesus sent them out. So, so what happened here? So what happened here is we're looking, now this is later on in the experience. So these disciples had already cast out devils, cast out spirits from them. And now they're coming and all of a sudden they come up with a man who came with his child and they're not able to help him. And they're wondering, what happened? Why did this happen to us? Why? Why? This had to be an incredibly embarrassing moment for them. Because they had acted, said, oh yes, we've seen Jesus do this. He gave us authority. We've done this before. Now we're going to do it again. And it didn't happen. And besides, now the Pharisees were on them as well. They you shouldn't be doing this. See, this just blah, 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 blah. going after them. So they're asking Jesus. They're going to Jesus and they're saying, you know, what happened? And Jesus responded back in chapter 9, you unbelieving generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring me the boy. So they brought him to Jesus, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell on the ground and rolled around and foamed at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been like this? From childhood, he answered. And it was often throw him into the fire or the water to kill him. But I, uh, I can, but if you can do anything, he asked, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus answers, if I can. <laughs> what do you mean, if, if you can, he asked, Jesus said. Everything is possible to those who believe.
And then the father responds. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Honestly tell you, I've prayed that prayer. When I read this, when I saw that, when I've heard this story over the years, you know, help thou, I believe, help thou my unbelief in the King James. Help, help me, I believe, I believe, but help with the unbelief, the doubt. I've prayed that prayer. Still pray that prayer. And when Jesus saw, the Bible says, verse 25, when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene because they had seen all this, oh, this is what's amazing, he rebuked the impure spirit. The deaf and the mute spirit, his, you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so like he was a corpse. And many said, oh, he's dead, he's died. But Jesus took him up by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And they were all stunned. So here it comes. <laughs> so after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive out, drive it out? Why couldn't we drive it out? In other words, we have a question we like to ask you. How come it didn't work this time? It worked before. You gave us authority. How come it didn't work this time? We have a question. <laughs> I would be asking that, wouldn't you? We've done this before. You gave us authority. We went out. We've done this before. This was the same sort of thing. How come it didn't work this time? What happened? Now, they're asking him privately because they're afraid the answer. You don't want to say this publicly. And that's kind of the thing we do. Well, you know, we want to talk to the Lord privately about things that are embarrassing. And Jesus responded and said, this kind of uh, can come out only by prayer. Only by prayer. Well, I, I, I found that interesting. Only by prayer. You see, prayer was the way Jesus communicated with the Father. It was through. We mentioned you had, uh, you mentioned about prayer this morning. Prayer is the key to heaven. Prayer is the key to heaven. It's, it's the method, it's the way that prayer that we give to communicate with God and to listen to him. And so it was these long hours of prayer that Jesus knew the Father's will. He understood the Father's will. Now, there's a parallel passage that tells this story in the book of Matthew. And we're just going to highlight it here for just a bit. In the book of Matthew, it tells a similar experience about what had happened. You can read it there. But look at these words here. And verse 19, And when the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked him, Why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus gave a different answer. When he answered, he said, Because you have so little faith. In Mark, he said, it's because this is subject to prayer. In Matthew, he said, no, it's subject to faith. You have so little faith. 
And then he goes on to say, truly I tell you, if you have as small as a mustard seed, and on the front of your, and thank you so much, somebody put a hand on there holding a mustard seed. How small a mustard, I thought about bringing one to you, but it's so tiny you'd never see it anyway. And a mustard seed, and uh, the faith is mustard, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move because nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing. Nothing will be impossible. I tell you, I have not, I have not wished to move a mountain and prayed to have the faith that I could move a mountain like that. Although when I was in Minnesota, I thought where it was just absolutely flat, where you, when you go to a parking lot and you stand on a speed bump, you know, you can see forever. Because it's just, that's, it's so flat there. When I moved to Reno and had mountains, I thought, ha, ah, this is wonderful. But I haven't raised any mountains. I haven't said move over there. Jesus wasn't actually asking us to do geography. He wasn't move, move things around. He wasn't asking us to do that. But here in Matthew 7, it says, um, it says by faith, it said in Matthew 6, uh, Mark 6, excuse me, only by prayer. Matthew, because of a lack of faith. Because prayer and faith are linked together. They are linked together. That's exactly what she was saying this morning before we had a prayer. Prayer, we're reaching out and praying, and it's because in faith and trust in God that we pray. So prayer puts us online with the will of God. I, was, I used the word first, inline. I changed it to online because online's more technologically hip here. So we put it online with God, with his will, prayer does that and in Matthew 17 it said a mustard seed sigh if you have less faith than that of a mustard seed how much faith do you have zero if you have less faith so so evidently Jesus is telling the disciples if you had a mustard seed of faith you could do that but you don't have that trust I entitled my message this morning a mustard seed conspiracy, which I took from a book I read several years ago, uh, the title, and I want to tell you a story that was in there. In the story, there was a couple, a young couple living in New York. They lived in the city of New York. They were a Christian couple, and they decided they wanted to make a difference in this world. They said, if Jesus has called us to help those around us, how can we make a difference in our world? And they took that subject to prayer, asking God, please show us what we can do. Well, in their research and in their looking, they found out the story about the fast food industry. Now, I don't know if this is accurate at this time, but it was at the time that this couple began to work. Now, if you've ever gone past a McDonald's, there's a McDonald's there, and it says billions served. Billions of what? Billions of burgers have been served. Where did McDonald's get all that beef? Where did they get all the beef for all the other fast food restaurants? Not from the US. Time they 
had gone down and these large corporations like McDonald's had purchased down in the Caribbean, they had gone and purchased lots of land, put cattle on them, hired some few people to take care of them, and there they produced cheap beef. Beef as they could, as fast as they could, outside the United States, because they could get it cheaperly done, and then they would ship it to the U.S. so you could have it your way. As a result, they raised the prices of fuel. So the local farmers and people there could not compete. And people were going hungry. They would be taking care of these large uh, thousands of cattle and not able to eat them. <laughs> not able to have the protein. Not able to take care of them. So this couple, just these two, said, what can we do? What can we do? They're living in New York, right? so in the city. So what they did was they sold their BMW. Now, I have no, if you have a BMW, don't, I'm not trying to, but they didn't need it in New York, they thought, because they could ride the subway everywhere they wanted to go. It just sat in the garage, just for on weekends. So they sold their BMW. They took that money and they bought a tractor and some land. And they created a co-op farm for the poor in the Caribbean. As a result, as a result of doing that, they were able to get people back working for their, on their own land, and they were able to help start feeding hundreds of people, of which they had no part, no gain. No money came back to them. But they were able to get this farm going by getting a tractor, getting land, helping them buying the cattle, getting the thing up and going, and then started organizing a community co-op farm. And they began to feed hundreds, hundreds. When I read that, I kind of, why? Somebody... That couple took seriously the call of Christ to help others. They moved a mountain, <laughs> you see. They moved a mountain. Instead of those hundreds of people going hungry, now they had employment, they had food, they had supplies, they provided the gasoline to run the tractors, and that place started to take off and grow. And they helped these people who had been forced out, forced off land, because they couldn't afford to keep and compete with the McDonald's and the Burger Kings and whatever else from America so we could have it our way. Which raised the question with me, what can I do then? <laughs> What's my mustard seed? I do not have a BMW sedan to sell because I don't live in New York and I don't ride the subway. We don't have a subway here. It'd be full of water probably, wouldn't it, most of the time? But there must be something that I can do to help those around me. It is amazing 
what we can do if we open our hearts to the call of Christ. It's amazing what may be right there for us. C.S. Lewis was, I believe it was C.S. Lewis, was criticized because he had chickens and um, he would uh, sell the chicken eggs to people. He wouldn't give them away, he would sell them. And they said, well, he's got a salary and so forth. Why, why doesn't he give them away? Wouldn't that be a, a Christian thing to do? Well, they, he never said, never told him, but the reason he was selling the chicken eggs and raising the chickens was because he was providing money for someone in need. He wasn't taking it himself. He was feeding someone else. I knew a pastor who, everywhere he went, he immediately started raising orchids. And as a hobby, he raised these beautiful orchids and sold them to the flower shops. And they were gorgeous. He knew how to do that. It made beautiful. So the first thing he did, a hothouse, he got it up, wherever he was, and they started doing this, selling them off. Well, what was he doing? Was he trying to supplement his income? No, he was supporting somebody who was in need. Using that money. Well, I don't have a green thumb particularly, so I... I don't know, I'm an orcas thing, but, but I must raise the question myself, what can I do? What can I do to help those around me? What can I do to help? So the disciples. The reason they could not is because they were not in communication with the Lord, with God. And it was not a God-driven healing in their life. I don't want to judge them poorly, but it appears from the words of Jesus that the reason that they could not move forward was because they lacked the mustard seed of faith. And that mustard seed, that Faith and trust in God is directed by God himself. I had a Bible teacher who he was visiting a family down in uh, New Mexico. And as he was uh, visiting them, the, the uh, young boy, he uh, suddenly died. Boom. And the family is panicked. They're calling for the ambulance. They're calling for And the Lord spoke to him and said, go in and do what Elijah, Elisha did. Go lay on the boy and breathe into him. And he went and laid and stretched himself out on the boy and breathed into him and prayed, and the boy awoke. Now, we don't know how far dead he was. We don't know, but it appeared that he was gone. And suddenly, it was just, just bang, it's gone. But he felt the call of God there because he was listening, you see. The mustard seed. So what is God calling you to do? What is he calling me to do? Where, where is the door opening for you to help someone else? To help those in need? It would be a shame. To have them come and say, I came to you for help. 
but you could not, wouldn't it? Now, I may not be able to cast out demons. That may not be the thing. But the reason that they were able to cast them is because they were inspired by God to do it at that moment. God directed them. With the Father, they were not. Other things had crowded into their day. It's so human of us, isn't it? So this morning, as you look at this story and look at this and remember Jesus' words, if you had that tiny mustard seed of, of uh, faith and are subject to asking and following God's will, he will open the doors for you. Open your mind, open how he will lead for you to help those around you. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your message today and the story of this little boy. It's powerful. And I thank you that uh, we've been called to help those around us. May we listen carefully and find how can we help? How can we do that? What is our great gift that we can give and offer to you and to those around us? In Jesus' name, amen.